Hello, and welcome to Do Not Steal, a podcast about tabletop criticism and making tabletop OCs. I'm the big dog that makes all the rules, Olivia Morgan Joseph, yeah. and I'm joined... <laughs> oh, I was... The big <laughs> no, dog go. that makes all the rules. I'm, I'm so blessed me. to be on a podcast with you. Um, hi, I'm not the big dog that makes all the rules. I'm Hannah Yolo. I don't make any rules. You may do as you wilt under my command can't put that in the podcast (laughs) (laughs) even in the podcast it's not it's not dirty unless you make it dirty it's regular imo (sighs) so no see here yeah this is how we know i'm the senior podcaster because you don't know that the second you say you can't put something in the podcast it has to be in the podcast that's right um so yeah i think we should i think we should just get started let's dive into it Olivia, what system are we doing this week? So we this week we are covering the tabletop I almost call it the tabletop video game. No, it's the tabletop role playing game, Lancer. And I've described this podcast before as one part tabletop criticism, one part creative writing experiment. I think and you did it like literally a minute ago as well. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh I think in this this week we're heavy on the criticism. <laughs> yeah, we, got some issues. we have words for Lancer. Um, I think like the best way to describe it is that like as soon as you open a book, it's like a mech show villain uh, drops a colony on your head, and the colony is labeled ideology. <laughs> uh huh. Um, before we go into the specifics, though, right, because I I wanted to talk more in the generality, because part of preparing for this episode was, like, generally defining what we want this podcast to be, because for, for a while, I was like, for a while, I had such problems with this system that I was wondering if it was appropriate for the podcast to do it, Mm -hmm. um, because we started off, like, we started off saying, um... We started off saying, like, fuck D&D, we're not going to do D&D. And so it was important to me to get in there and specifically say, what is the difference between my criticisms of a system like Lancer and a system like D&D? Like, is there a line at which I can do one over the other? Um, And I'm not saying I came to the most ironclad rule. It was mostly just like D&D has an absolute stranglehold. on what tabletop rpgs are um mm-hmm. and also it sucks ass so i don't want to like <laughs> give more air to it yeah despite how much it sucks ass i don't i think i don't know if my where my issues with lancer stack up compared to my issues with D, like comparatively um but i feel like lancer being a much smaller game than D, basically it falls more in the territory of like i live in a society I'm a grown adult. Sure. I do not have to agree with everything uh, in a tabletop game to play it. I don't even have to like most of the things in the tabletop game to play it. Yeah, and I, I think that was a good way to sort of look at the distinction, at least from my perspective, is that like I would never be comfortable doing an episode on D&D. Um, a, because like you said, it's just like, well, what the fuck's the point? Like people know what D&D is. Um, but it also just, like, it is directly lining the pockets of, like, really obviously dog shit people. Um, mm. And, like, 
you know, we have a lot of political disagreements with what's laid out in this book. But, like, I don't think that the two people who are credited as, like, you know, the, the like, leads on Lancer, um, I don't think that this book necessarily means that they're, like, awful people. I think that it just means that they're, like, sock dems who are under the, you know, uh, mistaken impression that they're revolutionary in a sense. And that's, like, really fucking frustrating to deal with. But I don't see it as, like, this sort of, like, no, fuck that. This is, like, a line that needs to be, like, maintained. That said, if we um, do come across, like, a system in the future that we do just, you know, look at and say, this fucking sucks. I don't want to do this. Um, One of us or the other or both, then, like, we do reserve the right to just, like, say, fuck it and, um, you know, try something else instead. Like, I think that it's it's good to, like, not kind of bind ourselves to one specific ironclad definition because like there are going to be times where we can't really like put our finger exactly but we just have this understanding of like this sucks i don't want to do this Mm -hmm. yeah in this case a lot of this sucks and a lot of it is actually at least uh from my perspective uh really cool so it would be overall, like, I think this sort of game where I would be happy to play in it so long as, like, A, either we didn't use, like, the canon setting, or B, we used it, but in ways where, like, the person running the game was 100% on the level about, like, you know, understanding the difference between what the game shows you and what the game tells you about its setting. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think the other dynamic of i think like you said the other dynamic for me is i could see a version of myself playing this game yeah like i could see it uh, or more like i could see a version of this game that i would be fine playing mm-hmm. you know for the experience of like tabletop hanging out with friends like doing a doing a, a story in a different setting but i don't see myself enjoying D. <laughs> Because D&D fucking sucks. Because D&D sucks. There's... I did my time in the D&D mines. Yeah, there's there's one good edition of it, and that edition is only good at very specific things. And the good news is that there's no way to play that edition right now in a way that actually, like, gives money to wizards. So you can only pirate it. So um, I'm I, chill with doing should... that. I, I think you should be clear about what edition of D&D you mean, because that's an opinion that is held about a few editions of D&D. Oh, it's Force. And... Force is a good one. Which, okay. I mean, here's the thing. That does kind of dovetail into this discussion of Lancer, because, like, Lancer is incredibly clearly inspired by D&D 4th edition, in that, mm-hmm. like, what is it good at? It's good at being an interesting, like, tactical combat miniatures game um, that mm-hmm. has some, like, fun character advancement and building stuff, right? Like, it's good as a game where, like, you look at your character and you're like, oh my god, I can push this guy two squares. And if I push this guy two squares, then it gives me a plus one bonus on pulling him three squares. And if I pull him three squares, then that gives me a plus one bonus on dealing damage. And then that, and it's, it's that type of shit, right? It's like <laughs> just stacking different, like, concepts on top of each other in order to create, like, a very soothing and satisfying mechanical build. Um, so, yeah, like. Did you? That's that's what I, long story short, that is what I appreciate about this game. That, like, I was able to make a mech that I would look at and be like, it would be so fucking fun to bring this into combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a similar experience of, like, I was able to make something where I would, a build, 
uh, I it's the same sort of rush I get when I make a, a fun build in a tactics RPG where I'm just like, yes, yes, I've expressed something in mechanics. Exactly. Um, um, yeah. So do you want to like dive into a little bit more of the specifics about, you know, why yeah. we're uh, <laughs> slightly frustrated with Lancer? Why we got beef. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to read. Uh, here was my plan. I'm going to read... I should have highlighted these. Okay. So I'm going to read two quotes from the first page of the Lancer book, right? Um, This is going to be like sort of when a... (laughs) This is going to be like uh, if you've ever been in a college class and a teacher is (laughs) giving you the opportunity (laughs) (laughs) um, to say something. Uh, So I'm going to read two quotes and... uh, Let's just uh, see to you, the audience, you, Hannah, if my issue with these two quotes, if my issue with the book could be summed up in the two quotes that I've chosen to contrast with each other. Yeah. These are both from the first. I plan Mm -hmm. to have completely neutral reactions to both quotes. Let's see how I do. (laughs) So these are both from the first page. Introduction Mm -hmm. uh, to Lancer. Quote number one. The form of that wealth is manna. Uniting the disparate nations of the human diaspora outside the core, mana is the universal currency accepted by every market on every planet. When a galaxy's wealth of raw resources are available for exploitation, a community's wealth comes from both its past and its potential. Alright, quote number one. <laughs> fucking McKinsey and company ass fuck. <laughs> Just this fucking... <laughs> Yo, who talks like this? Bro. Anyway, but... Look, it, Mayor Pete, really I'm so, so sorry that the presidential run didn't work out for you. <laughs> we don't need to transition into tabletop design, though. Fuck. Shit. Uh, okay, so let me read the second quote, though. Yeah. Because it's really the contrast, like, the contrast between the two quotes, which is where my beef with Lancer lies. Mm-hmm. Number two. Union is a new kind of utopia. A new state, communal and post-capital, for a new humanity. Union was born from the ashes and ice of the fall, the collapse that felled old humanity, boiling cradle and withering her colonies entirely. Though it has been thousands of years since Union was founded, and thousands more since the fall, new humanity knows only one truth among 10,000 unknowns. If we are to survive, then we must come together in solidarity and mutual aid. And the quote. <laughs> so, so I want to be uh, clear, by the way, that um, later in the book it tells us more about like the actual political and economic situation in Union, which is like the mm-hmm. the huge central empire that like defines you know most of the world, and it's like you're either playing in Union or like kind of on the, the edges of it, which are described in like you know wild uncolonized frontier terms. Uh, Doing the grimace emoji right now? It's quite, it quite literally takes the Imperial core and the Imperial frontier and makes them core facts of the world building and then completely straight face tells you this is a utopian communist post-capitalist state. Um, It also tells you that in this post-capitalist utopian state, there are four giant what are called corpora states. Mm -hmm. Um, And that one of these has... 10% 10% of the seats in the uh, main legislature of Union, and that another, mm-hmm. like, 
like conservative fa- traditionalist faction has another i think like 20 percent of seats in that legislature mm-hmm. so what we have here is a post-capitalist utopia where it's like the majority of the seats are held by parties that are like described as like social democratic moderates there's a few that are held by like um left-wing like anarcho-communist types and there's a solid third that are held by right-wingers um and like mm-hmm. fundamentally and not just go for like it. not just like specifically like uh one corporation should rule the country um uh, right wingers and like i think at one point it describes like a like a sort of um like a it, it describes sort of like a human supremacist faction which descri- which prescribes the idea of humanity in really narrow terms and says the rest Ugh. should be eliminated uh a utopia this does not make. I need this game to suck my dick. I am so upset. And and here's the thing. When I look at, like I said, the difference between what the game shows us and what it tells us about this setting. When I look at what it shows yeah. us, it's like, oh, well, I know what that is. That's like a European social democracy, right? That's something that is meaningfully better than, you know, unrestricted um you know free markets as as we have in the united states um but that's something that does not represent a meaningful post-revolution exercise that's not something that is a utopia that's something that in the real world is rife with problems and very many of the same ones that are present here and i Mm -hmm. think that so much of my issue with this game would be like mollified if they just seem to understand that if they told Mm -hmm. us that like guys what we have here is like imperialist um space sweden then it's like okay i can see how you can play both a character who is like sympathetic to that and a character who is opposed to that um and like that there's meaningful like tension um and that there's Mm -hmm. like meaningful space to just like you know, express your own ideology and whatnot. But to have Union be portrayed as, like, this is a shining utopia, and, like, the only sad things in the galaxy right now are, like, the places that Union hasn't reached and brought under its grasp yet. Like, Mm -hmm. that just feels awful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I we share very similar ideas where, like, you can portray, like... You could do Union as it's just, this is a world which is dominated by a, like, a huge, an impossibly huge, like, extractive imperialist empire, which is continually expanding. And if you want to just play it like that, great. Like, Mm -hmm. if you want to do, this is a, this is a, like, sort of huge, sort of hodgepodge, um, conglomerate uh, state entity, which, in which like these things that have very these entities that have very different surface politics sort of like have a some kind of cooperation either through you know for whatever reason and that makes it very like compromised and fractured you can do that too but you can't do sort of both of those and then t- and then drop the words solidarity and mutual aid like that means anything you and 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 here's the thing i think that even then there's an out because i think the out is to drop those words constantly and make it like a conscious thing that that you're doing and also that like the in setting um political entity is doing right 
Because mm-hmm. when we talk about like a group in a sci-fi mech setting that um, might have been like founded in a anti-capitalist revolutionary tradition and that is now like, you know, really um, over time has turned its back on that and sort of settled into a rut of, you know, um, commodifying and um, just sort of lessening the meaning of those revolutionary terms. Like I just described Oricon from Counterweights, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I don't have a problem with that. I think that all the many friends at the table fans don't have a fan with that, or that don't have a problem with that. Um, and I, I think that that's something where it could absolutely be this tension for a character where it's like, oh, that's what union is. And now the question is, do we try to reform it so that it meets its original revolutionary ideals or do we um you know just have to like completely burn it down and start again with something that is not corrupted in the same way that's a situation that's like a political dilemma where i know what my answer is very clearly but Mm -hmm. i think that like that is a valid and necessary like range of debate for a system like this right Um, Because at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, like, I don't think that we're asking even for a every RPG book that we do to open with, like, uh, a page that says, hey, uh, this book is about being the exact kind of communist that you two, Hannah Yolo and Olivia Joseph are. Um, But I think, like, it really is just that, like, audacity to kind of claim on the book's part that that's what it's doing and then just completely fail to live up to that. Yeah, like, it is, it it definitely reads to me, like, and I don't want to, I don't want to, like, go personally after the creators of this book too much, because I don't know anything about them, like, Mm -hmm. either their, either their past creative work, I I know, uh, I I know they're involved with a webcomic, so I don't, I don't want to, like, go either after their past creative work or them personally, but it really reads like a, a, a work that is sort of, like, using these concepts but not really understanding them in a rigorous way like they really feel like they really feel like when they say solidarity and mutual aid they are deploying them in this like loose sort of way uh where they don't really understand what those concepts mean because i think if you do have like a a concrete grasp of like what solidarity means what mutual aid means what empire is what capitalism is um you would recognize that the thing you're creating is much more of one thing and much less of the other thing (laughs) um but it just is sort of like it definitely wants to have it both ways where it wants to portray this galaxy that is like rife with violence exploitation strife uh domination uh but also it kind of wants to have this sort of like hey fellow leftists like yeah we're we're chill though like like Um, a a good way to summarize like my my reaction to this is like um i can't be the only one that thinks that if all of bread tube got together and made an nfl team they could dominate the the nfl i I don't know enough about bread tube to understand what that means. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's just like a lot of folks who, like you said, use those words a lot, and then uh, it's it's kind of iffy on whether um, they're actually living up to them in any regard, mm-hmm. or just like understanding them. Like it's an it's mm-hmm. a very odd book to read because it will like 
it it will there are many times at lancer where i can be like all right we're describing this we're describing this sort of like rich like i'm not necessarily rich but like it is an evocative like like um kind of like dark and gritty sci-fi setting and then it will be like this is the beautiful potential of humanity and i'll be like what no what no there there's you just described like five pages of human rights abuses (laughs) what are you (laughs) like what are you what are you talking about it's like it's like listening to someone who is uh, who does not really understand what they're saying is my experience of lancer and it makes for it makes for a book that I have a lot of reservations about. Uh, for sure, in that way. Um, um, yeah, I I I think that like if we want to talk about one more major setting element of it, um, it would be the one that kind of like uh, dovetails into what our characters are about. Because as you might know. We uh, start the process for each of these episodes by not just choosing a book and agreeing that we're going to do it, but also mm-hmm. coming up with like what the prompt, like the shared thread that our two characters are going to have is. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, the thread that we came up with was the idea that the two of them grew up together in a um, like a super soldier cloning facility. Um, and that one of us was going to play kind of like a, a clone that was built for like command and like officer status. And the other was going to be playing one that was like built as a shock troop. Mm -hmm. Um, so what that like naturally leads us to is what this game has to say about cloning, uh, which mm-hmm. there's a lot of ideology there too and that's like the ground where i really got you know sort of fascinated and was like oh if i just accept union as kind of being the villains in here right like people who might be under the impression that they're creating like you know a post-capitalist utopia but that are just like perpetuating systems and leaving the most vulnerable people completely like you know um left out of of what they're building then Mm -hmm. then like there's a lot of fertile ground here like it's not just importantly that we have made characters by like ignoring all the shit that's present in here um but by sort of like leaning into it in ways that like inform the the trauma and inform like the decisions of our characters Mm -hmm. uh do you have any uh sections of cloning or like things that it says about cloning specifically that you want to call attention to yeah sure um Um, so the first piece is it says here in the book quote to legally clone a person or our constituent parts requires informed consent from the donor they might they must understand that providing full body clones are their own persons with their own subjectivity and personal rights, nothing can give the donor legal authority over their facsimile unless the donor has requested a facsimile to raise as their own child. In the latter case, the donor is granted legal recognition of a culturally appropriate parent-offspring relationship, commensurate with all relevant mores, traditions, and legal rights. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot going on in that paragraph. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's... There's, like, a bit more, and I don't want to claim that, like, this is, like, the only word that they have on this. But, like, overall, for the idea to focus here so much on, like, you need informed consent from the donor that that is what matters most. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, it sort of leads to the idea where it's like, oh, well, if somebody has 
cloning uh, done on them, you know, without their knowledge. Uh, like, if I found out, you know, I live in a sci-fi setting and I find out that, like, somebody had built a clone of me, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I hadn't ever, like, straight up said yes to it. My first thought would not be like, hey, I did not sign an informed consent form. It would be like, oh my god, I hope that she's okay. I hope that she wasn't, like, raised in some, like, horrible traumatizing way. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the idea that, you know, it's not that they're completely ignoring that second part, but that they're clearly, like, leaving it subordinate to these, like, legal frameworks that are very much based on, like, I don't know how to put this, but, like, cause I, I'm, I'm hesitant to use this phrase because it's definitely, like, used um, in different ways by, like, you know, alt-right chud types, but, like, it feels very HR language-y, right? Um, it yeah. feels like this is something that the corporation that does cloning will have written up in order to cover their asses, right? Rather than like an actual statement of philosophical approach to the creation of a human person that a post-capitalist utopia would make. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking about, I'm also thinking of HR, but I'm thinking about a different HR, human rights. Like it really reminds me of the way that like, when when I've studied human rights, if you look at human rights literature, right, mm-hmm. it's filled with exactly like this cloning section on Lancer goes, where it will be like, ah, yes, uh, human rights guarantee every clone is their own person, paragraph, 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 except for uh, the Flash clones uh, that are created to uh, do disposable labor or disposable shock troops. Um, yeah. We know exactly who is doing that and for how long they've been doing that. Uh, we're not doing anything about that, though, except for occasionally where we'll, like, raid them. And then what do we do with the clones? Uh, there's a board to figure that yeah. out. Yeah, God knows what they do. I, I would love <laughs> to know? read the, the section that you just sort of gesture to as well, because that's the other one that kind of just like makes my brain expand every time I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it says here, quote, despite the outlying of whole body flash cloning, it is allegedly practiced by Harrison Armory. Uh, that, by the way, is one of like the four big uh, like character creation choices effectively. Like it's uh-huh. sorted into what corpro state you are buying your mech parts from. Yeah, you can, you can wholesale. You can buy all of your mech. You can buy all of your mech parts wholesale. You communist revolutionary can buy your mech parts wholesale from the from the clone abuse company. That's right. <laughs> like, so clone abuse uh, pract- uh, company still practices whole body flash cloning, as do a number of larger Veronica houses. Progressive third com. Uh, it's like the government of union the government m- members regularly urge action to fulfill union's mandate and often task department of justice slash human rights enforcing the ban uh with enforcing a ban against smaller targets meanwhile the armory and the baronies argue that their flash cloning methods are similar to those blah 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 in name only they're much safer whatever uh doj hr's facsimile rights department frequently handles legal claims from facsimile persons in overseas cloning facilities spot checks and maintenance of public genetic proof data liberator teams commonly run point on regulation and enforcement actions targeting underground flash cloning sites um PCs that are flash clones from somewhere other than Armory and or Baronies might face more complications and will likely be regarded as sympathetic witnesses in UN DOJ HR investigations. Bruh. 
the I, it just you just said that the corporate state is like immune from any actual enforcement of the rights of these people that they are creating unmasked to exploit. Um, so what the fuck is all that shit about? <laughs> yeah, like, it's 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 also like even when that enforcement happens, like it's so key. I feel like that the first thing that's mentioned about like what happens to the um like the flash clones in those situations is that they are called as witnesses for the prosecution in these legal processes you know uh it's so legalistic it's so legalistic it's so based on like justice is when somebody like you know stands trial and is handed down like a very respectable fine um Mm -hmm. and like I, i i i don't think that the writers of this book by omission of this stuff or by de-emphasis of this stuff are actually like saying that like oh these flash clones who serve as sympathetic witnesses like go on to like you know be second class citizens or whatnot but the fact that that's not something that is focused on the fact that it's just sort of like left in the background about like what actually happens to the people who are left over when these illegal cloning operations are busted up that just feels really gross Mm mm-hmm um yeah and like and it's also just like incoherent i am like there are a few different ways that all of this goes and i'm not really sure which version of this world that they Mm -hmm. are they are pitching to me like uh do they not realize the giant gaps in what they're telling me or are they you know are they selling is like is that what they're doing? Are they doing sort of an elevated version of the way human rights and like legalistic justice work in our world in the future? If they are, I think it's a very confused version of that. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, I, I think that like the only way to really like resolve those contradictions is that like it really does feel like you said, like what's going on in the real world um, from the perspective of like these human rights watchdog organizations um you know that are based in western countries where it's like human rights violations are when brown people violate the rights of other brown people right like when that violation is taking part by multinational corporations or you know western governments or or whatnot then like well that's not really the same thing right like it is only something where it's like it happens in South America, it happens in you know Southeast Asia, it happens in Sub-Saharan Africa, and mm-hmm. those are cause for like you know intervention and you know blockade and potential military action. Send in the liberator teams, boys. Send Time to bring in the democracy teams. Um, but like, if Harrison Armory is doing it, well, it's like, well, no. But Harrison Armory's <laughs> CEO just like donated twenty thousand dollars to a re-election campaign of somebody that I have lunch with every week. So yeah, when there's a, they literally say that like Harrison, the the Harrison Armory flash cloning is the subject of uh, quote unquote progressive third com members like lobbying. <laughs> uh, they God. don't succeed apparently because uh Harrison Armory controls like ten percent of the fucking government. That's so right. they don't get anything done. Um but yeah, just the sort of like um yeah. and I, I re it really feels a lot more like a like a them not I have trouble believing that they know what they are doing here because those earlier sections are very incoherent in that way and it's not quite clear what they're going for so you get to something like this and it feels like you just it doesn't feel like you're thinking hard enough oh yeah i i want to be clear that like i think that i have generally 
like I think more of a readiness to like separate these things out and sort of view it from perspective of like okay let's leave aside what they intentioned um and like let's just sort of like roll with the the interesting weird contradictions that we're left with but like I'm under no illusions that they actually intended to bring us any of these interesting contradictions I do think though that that like snippet of uh cloning information that we just read is super fertile ground for like playing a character who has been victimized by the insufficiency of these processes right mm-hmm. yeah um is there anything else that you want to talk about like setting wise or are we uh good to move on to like a brief overview of the mechanics of this game uh, i kind of feel like that's it we've done half an hour on this Oh yeah, uh-huh. we've we've gotten big mad. We've we've gotten very upset, and now it's time to talk about something. I feel like I'm moderate mad, actually. Yeah, I feel like I'm moderate mad. I'll yeah. live, but like, read yeah. a book. You can. <laughs> it's okay. I'll give you a website. It's called www.marxists.org. Have you heard of my man Vladimir Lenin? He wrote this yeah. great book called Imperialism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what I feel like right now is I feel like I'm. Uh, one or honestly both of the guys in the Wicked Witch of the East Bro video where I'm just pulling a <laughs> knife on Lancer's setting information just say grow up get educated uh, it's the guy who's about to get knifed who's saying grow up uh, well, it's the, the guy, guy with pulling... the knife who says get educated <laughs> the guy with the knife goes I'm gonna kill him and pulls out a yeah. knife and starts <laughs> walking stab him. Uh, but he says I it in a very that... like amiable tone yeah, I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna kill him. Uh, I love those two. Uh, it's the Wicked Witch of the East, bro! Okay, wait. She, why does he bring her up? The she Wicked came Witch the... down in a bubble, no, dog! No, 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 that's the Witch of the South. That's a good Witch of the I don't know. He says she came down in a bubble. The Wicked Witch of the East is the one that gets, like, fucking domed by Dorothy's house at the start of the movie. Hmm. Maybe I'm misremembering how this one no, goes. No, no, no. He does say does it. Seem... You're, you're absolutely right to like assume that. Maybe he that's must be why the other the guy person. wants to knife him. That's yeah, because he's that's... just wrong about his Wizard of Oz characters. I'm, I'm also drawing my knife as I look at my computer <laughs> screen. Um, <laughs> okay, now let's draw our knives and uh, stab him right into uh, a big tactical gridded map because uh, <laughs> that is what Lancer is all about mechanically. Yeah. Um so let me get the let me get you a basic mechanical overview, right? Yeah, go for it. Wait, so I, I'm time... going to give you a super basic mechanical overview before you do the basic one. Uh it's Dungeons and Dragons 4th edition. All right. Now your slightly <laughs> more detailed version. Go. Uh so we talked uh, we talked about Blades in the Dark last episode and Lancer honestly has a similar general format where they want you to um they want you to swap between what they call narrative play and uh, the turn-based mech combat, uh, where they encourage you to do narrative play um, as, you know, more sort of rules light, focused on the story, focused on the characters, and then they want you, and when it's time to get in the mechs and fight, they want you to go to mech combat, which is uh, what they call crunchy. They want it to be complicated. They want it to be very deliberate when you do that. So they want you to sort of, like, swap between those uh, two modes of play. Mm-hmm. Um the three, when you roll dice in this game, basically, you got three types of dice rolls, okay? okay. There's the skill check, uh, which is mostly used in narrative play, where you declare your intent, 
you know, your intent to do something, you roll 1d20 plus a modifier, you succeed on a 10 plus, or you get a 9 plus and you fail and you suffer consequences. We've already talked on the previous episode why I don't think that is a good way to handle uh, outcomes in a tabletop game. It's not great. Uh, but nevertheless... Um, it's, it's uh, I, I'm willing to forgive it here, honestly, because like, um, it kind of feels like they are at least being somewhat honest with the fact they have half-assed the outside of a mech mechanics. And it's like, <laughs> look, I get that. I, I get that, like, it would be kind of like, you know, um, a misallocation of resources to actually put a lot of effort into this. Because, like, mm-hmm. there are... This is not a game about being a mech pilot on foot. No, like, there are rules for being on foot and being able to like damage mechs and whatnot but like this isn't titanfall right where it's like you are spending one half of the game outside the mech and one half in the mech and like everyone knows that the on foot sections are better it's it's very much a situation where like you are in the mech and you do a bunch of things that like uh narratively maneuver you towards being in the mech Mm -hmm. which like um realistically you don't need more than like free form and you know like basic checks for that yeah um so the other kind the other two kinds of roles you do is an attack which is uh when you take an offensive action in your mech where you roll a d20 you add a modifier uh what's different from the skill check is that your target number can change depending on what you're attacking and what you're trying to do Mm -hmm. uh and then finally is a uh, final roll is a save roll where is where you roll a die in order to avoid or resist negative effects, which is again a d20 plus a modifier, uh, but your and your target number will change based on the thing that you are trying to avoid happening to you. Mm-hmm. Um, the game also has uh, you can also add what are called either accuracy or difficulty to a roll. Uh, if you get, if you have a point of accuracy on a roll, you roll a d6 and then add that to your d20 in addition to your modifier. Uh, if you have difficulty, you do the same thing, but you subtract your number and they sort of cancel each other out, you know? Mm -hmm. So some factors will give you accuracy, some factors will give you difficulty, and then you sort of, they sort of jockey, cancel each other out one for one, and you, you know, take the remaining modifiers it's it's basically what they're doing instead of like you know in fourth edition for example there's often this mess of like okay well i get i roll my d20 and then i roll plus one or i add to the total plus one from this plus two from that plus one from this minus one from that um they they instead do it by just like i think they're trying to simplify that process by making it happen a little less often and just making it like d6s that you sort of like stack up next to Mm -hmm. each other if you have, if you're doing a roll, um, and you have uh, one difficulty and two accuracy, you will end up rolling one accuracy, you know, and you will get difficulty. I don't know because it's a, there's a huge rainstorm, and you'll get accuracy because you're trying to shoot a guy with your super cool sniper rifle and your super cool scope or something right. like that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So like that's kind of the base, like resolution mechanic stuff and then mm-hmm. as far as like what it actually is like to play the game um it is like tactical combat right like it's designed to be played on a grid with you know miniatures mm-hmm. either real or virtual um i believe it's a hex grid is that right yeah they're hexes yeah. they're hexes um you know things will have 
ranges laid out in exact numbers. Things will have sizes laid out in exact numbers. Um, there will be like descriptions of you know what happens when you try to traverse specific kinds of terrain. Um, it's very much mm-hmm. like that type of you know um, war gamey ish experience that like honestly wouldn't it wouldn't feel too difficult to adapt something like Lancer to be like a um, you know tactics RPG that you can play on a Switch or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, it's the kind of it's the kind of combat system where you have a page called Quick Combat References, which tells you all the type of actions, which tells you all the category of options you can choose to do during your various turns, and then tells you which sub actions fall under which category. So you can either, you know, so you always get to move, and then you can choose between either one full action or two quick actions. Or you can choose to take a point of heat to do another quick action, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind of combat where you will have to go back and be like, ah, oh, fuck, how do you dismount a mech? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, geez. What if I set my mech to self-destruct? Uh, what's bracing? Fuck, how do I brace? Yeah, <laughs> like... and it's 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 not necessarily, like, the type of combat where it's just, like, you run up to someone and compare your numbers. Um, I think, like, in certain builds and certain matchups, um, that is going to be happening to some extent. But a lot of it is trying to be, like, based on, um, like, tactical positioning, like, synergies between different abilities, um, you know, mm-hmm. making use of buffs and debuffs accurately. Um, importantly, there's five types of mechs, and you can uh, kind of like blend these roles in amongst each other. There's strikers, which are pretty like you know straightforward; they do damage in various ways that can be melee or ranged. Um, there's defenders, which are like your tanks. Some of them are tanks in the sense that like they will actively like shield allies and prevent them from taking damage. Some of them will be like punishing enemies for dealing damage um but they have some kind of like defensive capability like that and some kind of sturdiness there's controllers which are like you know debuffers and crowd controllers um and often in ways that are specifically based on like we are making the battlefield a physically unpleasant place to be for uh the the enemy mechs like we're setting things up such that if they try to like take their normal turn like move here do this action do that action they're gonna say no um then we have supports which are you know i think pretty self-evident they they do a lot of like buffing they do uh enhancements like ally mobility and whatnot they heal sometimes um Mm -hmm. and they like kind of yeah set other mechs up for success and then Mm -hmm. finally we have artillery which frankly i don't know why that's so distinct from striker because they just deal damage but in ways that are more sort of like fixed and long range and about like kind of maneuvering yourself into a um like safe place that you can snipe from and then beginning to snipe um they are definitely different kind of like roles like a um a a sniper is going to do something different on a battlefield than like you know a guy who charges in with two big swords but Mm -hmm. um they are just both fundamentally about like dealing damage first and foremost yeah um, and then, of course, yeah, like, you can uh, combine those in different ways. Um, and what's really both really cool and also a little frustrating at times is that the way that this works is that you're not just sort of, like, picking one mech and then progressing down, like, a linear advancement path, but you're sort of building your own mech by, like, having a frame 
um, which like determines its like core passive bonuses and then like its super move. And then you can, um, when you level up, pick licenses from other mechs, which allows you to just like plop on systems. Um, you'll have like a cap. Um, you'll only have like a, a, a few uh, mounts with which mm-hmm. you can mount different types of weapons on your mech. And you'll have what are called system points, which every system that you mount is going to take up a few of those. And, you know, once you have reached your cap, you can't mount more until you like level up in ways that get you more system points. So you can mm-hmm. do a lot of like cool mix and matching. You can like create these like hybrid builds. Um, my mech picked um, systems from four of the five roles. <laughs> Um, so there's a lot of, like, really cool stuff that can be done there. Um, the downsides of it are that there are really weird restrictions, like, number one, you can't actually pick any mech except for the starter mech until you have leveled up twice. Mm -hmm. Um, because, like, the first level up, you just get the ability to, like, pick, uh, systems from that new mech. You don't get to actually have the frame yet. So yeah, like any the... frame is going to be level two of whatever license it's it's attached to. Exactly. So like the first two levels, everyone's just going to be piloting this starter mech called the Everest, and you can have some like differences because like you have mech pilot talents, you have diff- different equipment, um, but it's like fundamentally for the first two. Um, levels you're going to be playing very similar mechs to each other and then you kind of have to make a beeline towards like okay well this is the frame that i want and then i can start customizing it later Mm -hmm. um it seems like the sweet spot for play is around like level six or seven uh because i was like hanging out in the lancer discord um i do want to give a shout out and a lot of appreciation to those guys for helping me build my mech um i'm sorry for talking so much shit about your game um it just said it kind of sucks sometimes but um it seems like from them the sweet spot is kind of like around level six that's when most builds are gonna be like complete and you just straight up can't add more meaningfully to it um because like your mounts are full your system points are full yeah, um, the... And you're encouraged to have, like, multiple mechs. Um, so I guess that's what you do with the remaining levels. But, yeah, there's upsides and downsides to it. How do you feel about, like, the mech creation and building system? I think it is... I think it is a system that promises a lot and delivers less than I would want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I was able to make something eventually that i was happy with um yeah but i think there definitely are a bunch of like you said strange restrictions um places where your ability your attempts to customize your character will be delayed or frustrated or um just sort of limited in ways that don't feel in ways that feel frustrating like you said you reach a point where you've made you've done everything you can do for your mech like you cannot get more ability to customize your mech after a certain point so you might as well make a second mech but then you've also built your character in ways that optimize piloting a certain kind of mech and so then you're limited in what you can do to make a second yeah because no matter what you make with your second mech like there are mech stats, there's hull, agility, systems, and engineering, and there are mech talents, which are just these, like, you know, cool passive bonuses or whatnot um, mm-hmm. that you can add to your anything that your mech does. And so it's like, okay, cool, well, 
I've finished with what this mech can do at level 6. Now I can make a whole different mech. But oh, if I made my first mech as like a tank that's really all in on like having hull and maybe some engineering, um, then it's like, well, I can't meaningfully have my second mech be like a extremely nimble, like, you know, melee skirmisher that does like hit and run stuff. Because it's like, I just don't have agility points and I don't have talents that say that I can, you know, skirmish effectively. So mm-hmm. I can make another mech that's tanky, but I already have the tanky mech that I prefer most. It's the one I made the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be several levels before your second tanky mech is even comparable with your first tanky mech. Exactly. So it's a little like... Mm, I, it, it's rough in that way. I think it... I think both the... I think both the Lance... I think both Lancer's mechanics and also its narrative feel like things that have potential, like, that could be taken in interesting ways, but they just feel rough in a way mm-hmm. that I feel... It feels like a game that needs another draft, is what I'll say. Yeah. Um, and And I think, like, the last thing that I would sort of, like, note mechanically is that like um a lot of the like cool character creation stuff feels like it's an onus that's on the player um because i i think that if you sort of i don't think this is a sort of game that's like dungeon and dragons third edition which is famous for having all these like trap options where it's like if you pick this then your character will be like incredibly weak and incredibly boring to play but i do think there is this sense where it's like if you just look at the pictures and like the you know one sentence descriptions and you see the mech that you find coolest and you just pick that one then probably what you're going to end up with is a mech that can do like one or two things over and over again um you're going to have like a very sort of straightforward linear game plan and a lot of these mechs even the ones that are like really customized and optimized are just going to have these game plans where it's like okay well there's still like the aspect of positioning and target selection and whatnot, but I'm fundamentally not doing meaningfully different things from battle to battle. You know, like I'm playing a mech that has a big lance and jet boots that let me charge at people. Fundamentally, every time I drop onto a map, I'm going to find the nearest enemy to target and I'm going to jump at him with my jet boots and stab him with a big lance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is fun in other ways. <laughs> i know we've been talking so much about like how much this shit fucking sucks but i do want to like reiterate that a lot of the you know sort of tactical miniature combat stuff in this does scratch like a very powerful itch in my brain and to I'm sort a of tactics bitch i love my tactics i love being a tactics bitch and i love um i got so like hyped around like the mech that i made that i ended up doing a matchup chart against all 30 NPC mech designs in the game. And mm-hmm. it felt like a very cool exercise to just be like, oh, cool. I understand like what the hard counters to my mech are, what the situations where it's like the most valuable to deploy. This feels like something where it's like the game is working as intended. So I do think that there like really is a whole lot of potential here. But I would agree overall with that assessment of like, this game could really use another draft in order to like be what it wants to be. Or to decide what it wants to be in some scenarios. Oh my god, yeah, that too. <laughs> um, like, e- either... Yeah. yeah. I've, I've said it's. I said it feels a little 
confused before or agnostic between two different versions of itself. I think so, yeah. Uh, do you want to finally get to our characters? Yeah, one hour in. Do you want to talk about our cool guys? No, I think we're just done for the episode. Uh, where can we find you online? Uh, no. I looked at so <laughs> many pictures of anime girls wearing bodysuits for this. Oh my god. Don't let my efforts be in vain. Oh, that's pervert shit. It's not going in the podcast. Edit that out. <laughs> Uh, all right so uh i will be going with my character first Uh uh-huh and to just to refresh because it's been a while since we said this prompt our prompt if you were listening yesterday (laughs) our prompt for this one is we're doing we're doing two two cloned soldiers from the same program one designed uh you know sort of a uh basically a designer clone for uh command operations and one flash clone designed for like shock troop shit cool yeah um i am playing the command operation clone and uh olivia is playing the shock troop Mm -hmm. uh should i do like my character's backstory or mechanics first um do backstory i feel like I, it, for me, it really feels like mech comes out of character. So for sure, that right. was, that's my preferred order. Yeah, that's that's definitely how I like thought about it as well. Um, okay, so what we have here is a facsimile clone super soldier that was born as part of a boutique cloning operation, an illegal and deniable arm of let's just say that it's Harrison Armory's long term efforts. Um, and this was, like, an operation that was designed to create, like, these bespoke paramilitary forces that could be, like, leased out to buyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, facsimile clone is the type of, like, you know, designer clone that we talked about earlier. These are ones that are, you know, not rapidly aged up, that are not sort of, like, you know, subjected to these processes that really sort of, like, physically fuck them up for life. Um... And, you know, are often designed as, like, I think the examples that the book gives are that when these practices were a lot more rampant, um, these people would be designed as, like, you know, um, noble, like, administrators or, you know, potential backup heirs or decoys or things like that. Um, So, you know, still treated as second-class citizens, but given sort of, like, more of an authority and personhood within that. Um. Yeah, so there was, in this operation, a small cohort of facsimile clones that was built to serve as battlefield commanders of those paramilitary teams. And that is where my character's designation and name comes from. Her official designation, uh, which she still uses, um, she doesn't really have this, like, opinion towards it of, like, that's not my name, I'm not a number. Um, Her designation is C4ISR-Gray-Epsilon. Um, and she just goes by Ivy. Um, and C4ISR is a modern U.S. military term that stands for Command, Control, Communications, Computers, Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance. So if you want, like, a rundown of what she was built for, it was, like, kind of that stuff, you know? It's, it's, it's kind of being, like, a battlefield commander that can synthesize a lot of information quickly and, like, lead and, and provide, like, tactical guidance um, to... Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, just, just be like an effective battlefield commander, um, not just in the sense of like being charismatic and inspiring, but sort of like calculating all the variables. Mm-hmm. So facsimile clones are facsimiles of specific people. Who is she a facsimile of? Um, I see the person, I haven't bothered to name him, but I see him as like an Amuro Ray type figure. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody whose genetic data was obtained super illegally 
Oh no. Uh, and he was a Union war hero who decades ago stole a prototype unit so he could serve in the Union Navy while underage, and who uh, eventually became a fabled leader and beloved cultural figure. Um, but this program made some tweaks to the base template for this um, guy that they were doing a facsimile of. Some of them are like the basic super soldier enhancements, but they're also like, yeah, um, for this generation of uh, commander clones, we're going to remove their sense of instinctive empathy and make them more calculating, precise, and ruthless. Um, And obviously shit doesn't actually work like that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. when people actually talk in the real world about, like, this this kid has no empathy, you're just describing, like, a weird autistic kid who, like, needs your love? Um, So, yeah, that's kind of what she just, like, grew up as, right? Like, an awkward and prickly kid who's probably somewhere on the spectrum. Um, Mm -hmm. And when one of her, like, you know, siblings in his cohort found out about that alteration and let them all know... She had a very strong reaction, but it wasn't this sort of like, oh, no, am I a monster? It was basically like, why'd you do that, assholes? It seems like a dick move and not even when it's going to work. I guess I got to put in extra work to figure out how to be nice to people. So thanks for that, you dumb pricks. Um, (laughs) And like once knowledge spread across the cohort, the reactions like ranged from frustration to like outright anger and defiance. And they were like united in the fact that like none of them were really like champing at the pit to fight for this program's clients anymore. So there was a power struggle and eventually the program was just like, fuck it, we'll just kill this generation off and, um, you know, uh, try better with the next cohort. And this is where... that work for them? Well, um... Epsilon, as she was calling herself at the time, um, had a great idea to save her own ass, which is that she met secretly with the directors of the project and proposed an idea. She was like, hey, what if you just, like, keep us on, you know, like, we won't see combat, but we can provide both immediate recommendations for tweaks to make for, like, the genetic template of the next generation, and so you can provide ongoing guidance to their developments. Um, like, you just had a whole cohort turn on you, right? Like, I get that you're playing the long game, but how many more times can you afford to actually, like, let that happen? You can make your best guesses as to what the next cohort will want, what will make them loyal, but, like, I know what'll work on them, because I'm them! Um, and if you, like, tell them to fight or else, then they'll just tell you to fuck off like we did. But if you convince them that, I don't know, for example, fighting is the only way to protect their beloved big brothers and sisters who have raised them and shown them kindness and would otherwise be a cold and difficult world, then they're probably going to do it, right? And they were immediately like, oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. All right, uh, that works. We'll keep you on as a collaborator and terminate the rest. She was like, wait, n- no, that's that's not what I asked for. Uh, but she tried to fight for the others in her cohort, but not like that hard because uh, she's kind of like a coward who's pretty easy to back into a corner. Um, and things worked out like she hoped. She spent like the next decade and change acting as a developmental liaison. She formed a lot of like pretty close and affectionate bonds with these kids in the following cohort. And everything seemed to be, seemed to be on track for that plan of like, we're going to have this group that's ready to, like, lead these clone soldiers into battle. And part of the reason why they're doing that is because, like, this person who has shown them a lot of, like, love and affection um, seems like she would be in danger if this doesn't work out. Um, now, uh, that was interrupted by a Union DOJ HR task force assaulting the facility. 
and when that happens i hate no i mean i'm indifferent to when that happens frankly because <laughs> like this place fucking sucks but union also sucks you know so like textbook indifferent to that shit happening mm-hmm. um so it's like she was not thrilled about defending the facility but also not thrilled about like staying and cooperating with union in any way because like i think from her perspective like she made the calculation quickly of like wait what would my life actually be like if i show up as a star witness in this big public trial about not just doing illegal cloning but like illegally cloning a beloved war hero like half Mm. of union is going to treat me with condescending sympathy and be like oh you poor thing it's so sad that you exist no one should ever have to exist if they're like you and the other half is just going to be like straight up disgusted at her for being a living effigy of this you know war hero that they love Mm-hmm. Um, and she just like literally does not care if more people of, of like her are created. Um, she she flinches against that union idea that like it's a tragedy that you even exist. So like her plan is basically like oh well this is a chance for like me and um, you know the next cohort that I've been raising and like everyone else that I can gather on short notice to just like make a fucking break for it and. Um, try to like maybe steal away some sensitive genetic data that they can flip on the black market uh, for like fraudulent papers for anyone in that escape group who just wants to like escape, live off the grid, not be bothered by this shit anymore. And then the rest of them, I imagine, form some kind of mech team. Um, But we can talk about the details of that once we've talked about your character. The last couple things that I have about like the character notes here are that um she did manage to like get um you know relatively decent placing for um all her like you know what she considers little siblings in that next cohort um and she occasionally visits them um they still have like a very affectionate relationship and they still like look up to her as like a cool big sister um spoiler we're gonna see a lot of characters uh throughout the run of this podcast that can be described as cool big sisters uh because yeah i might have made one both of us both of us love that shit um we got some we got some uh do do i do i call them issues do i call them obsessions what do i call them Damn, uh, I think it is uh, a perfectly normal brain that deserves to be loved. Thank you. That's right. We got some perfectly um, normal brains here. Uh, I love our normal brains. Okay, so she does uh, sometimes want to like confess to her younger siblings about like, hey, um, I took on this role as a willing collaborator because um, it was the only way to save my ass. But like, she doesn't actually think it matters that much. Like. You know, it's it's like, what's the point of it? Like, it's all just, like, retroactive hindsight shit anyway. Like, she did write by them in the end, so, like, shrug. Um, mm-hmm. They mostly just, like, fuss over her and ask when she's retiring from combat and where she's going to settle down. Um, <laughs> and she tells them that, like, oh, I've just got the one frame and I don't ever really repair it. So as soon as it breaks down and is, like, done for good, I'm going to call it quits and then I'll pick which one of you I'm going to, like, move in next to. So, like, you know be ready to convince me. Um, and they, they know that she's like kind of, you know, being weaselly in this situation, but they, they're pretty sure that it just means that like, oh, um, she's like a really good pilot and really cautious, so it's probably just going to take a really long time for that frame to break down. When we get to the mechanics, you'll see why she's lied to them even more. And um, <laughs> I think like a thing that's fundamental about this character is that like 
she honestly likes doing this stuff. She likes being a mech pilot and a, a commander of a mech squad. She has a lot of fun with it. And she tends to feel really resentful and prickly when somebody like implies to her that like her life is a tragedy in some way and that she needs to change it. She's like, why? I made my peace with all of this a long time ago. And if you haven't, then that kind of seems like a you problem. And mm-hmm. finally, she's also very abused and curious when she thinks about the hero that she was cloned from. She knows she's like 180 degrees opposite of how that hero is described in Union Media. So it's either super funny because he was a lot like her and um, it's like wild how much they whitewashed his public persona or he was nothing like her. And it's incredibly funny that, you know, this cloning operation went through all the trouble of cloning him just to get a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what she's like narratively. Um, and I have now, some questions. About you have some questions. Yeah, please go ahead. Hit me with anything you want before we go mechanically. Yeah, so my two Ivy questions. So you, because we ended on that note of comparing her and this hero that she's cloned from, they have different genders, obviously. Yeah. Um, is that, is Ivy a trans character or is it a thing where you can make a clone of someone and they just turn out whatever gender? Like, is it odd for Ivy to be a clone of this man who is a woman? Um, I think that I'm seeing it more in a way where it's like, uh, like the, the, the clones can be basically like, you know, wh- both whatever assignment at birth and whatever gender, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, I think that like she is, I, I've been thinking of her as this, um, and mm-hmm. I've been like thinking of this as sort of situation where like, it definitely sort of adds to her, to this like amusing idea of like, yeah, that's just a completely different person, and it's really funny that, like, anyone would care about the fact that I'm supposedly a lot like this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, um, I don't think that she's, like, actually transgender, except in, like, you know... I-, I think that in the mech show that this is all based on, like, if someone wanted to do a tra- or, or, like, you know, if this was, like, a mech show or whatnot that we're making, mm-hmm. if somebody wanted to do a trans read of this character, the, ter- the territory for that would be super fertile. But mm-hmm. um, I don't think that, like, she actually um, is uh, as I've been envisioning of her. Mm-hmm. What's your other question? Uh, well, my other question was, you said she spent about 10 years in this sort of senior role. How old is she and how old are her cohorts? Um, I th- I've been thinking or of like cohorts the, the cohort as cohort something... below her. Yeah, like, I've, I've been thinking of her as maybe, like, at this point, like, late 20s, early 30s, maybe. And okay, so, her so cohort... everybody's young here. Is that? So everybody's young here, basically. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Like, I, I think her co like, the, the cohort that she's been, like, raising as their, like, you know, big sister slash, like, surrogate parent, um, I imagine, like, are in their teens right now. Okay. Um, and I think that they, they sort of, like, have this understanding that, like, you know, when they hit, like, adulthood, um, then, then that might be a time when, like, you know, Ivy actually, like, settles down um as opposed to just like visiting every so often and like mm-hmm. bringing them gifts and lying to their families about what she does for a living um <laughs> and just like you know probably wearing a leather jacket if i'm being honest mm-hmm. um so yeah like i've i was thinking of this like operation as something that like was effectively playing the long game right like it was something where they could just afford to say like okay well 
we're probably going to need to take a few generations to perfect this process of creating the type of commander clones we want. And then, like, when it seems like we have a cohort of, um, you know, like, clones that are going to be exactly what we want from the, um, for, from, like, that uh, facsimile cloning process, that's when we pull the trigger and start, like, creating these batches of Flash clones that can be, like, you know, at the ready um, mm-hmm. to, to, like, serve under them. Yeah. I also have a third question. Hi, what's up? Uh, I didn't think I was a little agnostic on the idea of who my character would have been cloned from. Um, And based on what you just said, could I just make it so my character is also a clone of the same person that Ivy is? (laughs) Yo! (laughs) Exactly. It's like, you already got the the war hero genes. Why would you use different genes? (laughs) It's the same guy. I love this, especially because, like, I imagine the idea that, like, the people who made this, who, like, you know, were, were the directors of this program, uh, they just, like, submitted a proposal to, like, their Harrison Armory's liaison and were like, uh, yeah, so we have this vial of this, like, dude's genes, um, and we were thinking we could do a bunch of shit with that. Can you just, like, give us some resources to do that shit? And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, uh, that's a nice vial. Yeah, go for a half a million space dollars. <laughs> yeah um i also want to pitch you on something just to sort of like break up the flow a bit if like i What's do that? my character backstory and then we go back to you for mechanics and then back to me for mechanics oh hell yeah let's do um, that i just want to i want to talk a bit um, oh of course yeah, or, yeah. talk away uh, all right so um as we've established clone of the same person uh but created for very different purposes so mm-hmm. uh my character her name is maya pike um, her call sign is just the number three, um, yes. but but spelled out, T T H R E E. And if you ask Can her, what I just wh- say very very quickly here, I'm so happy here that I chose two like uh, tags for like my character's official clone designation, mm-hmm. and they are gray and epsilon. So I picked Greek letters and colors, and you picked numbers. And it worked mm-hmm. out perfectly, where it's like, oh, okay, everyone knows that, like, a number is a clone, right? And, or affects a flash clone. And everyone mm-hmm. knows that, like, a color in a Greek letter is an officer. That's obvious. Uh, the the thing about this three designation is, if you ask Maya why she her call sign is three, she says, because I was the third one. Like, I was the third one of my batch. This is pretty debatable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's un based on the flash cloning like models. It's unlikely that the third clone of any batch would like even be alive at this point. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it's a pretty bal- bald faced like lie. It's either like any sort of a miracle that she's alive or she is yeah. just lying. Um, and she dares you to call her on it, bitch. So I think that this is even better. This is even better than than it would be in a vacuum because do you know why my character is called Ivy? No, it's because no the number in her designation is four C four I S R dash gray dash epsilon. I like it. We um, have and three in Roman and numerals, four. of course. Four is I V. Um, so I fucking love the idea that like not only are you daring anyone to call you on this, but also just like oh yeah, one, one, one number higher. I'm the exact number that's one before the commanding officer. Are you going to start some shit over that? It's pretty cheeky. God. 
we're so good at making characters <laughs> um so yeah um so the way i'm thinking of maya and her and her brothers uh she has four brothers uh who are the surviving clones from her batch um mm-hmm. They are sort of a, they are a flash cloning method, which is a little more advanced than what is described at, in the book. Like, the clones are no longer susceptible to, like, biological or developmental disorders in the same way that, uh, they are said to be in the book. Um, and, but what the company has done is sort of adopted this medicalized framework by which, every possible traumatic reaction a person could have to like being flash cloned to be a shock trooper is just sort of compartmentalized away under this designation of mental contagion like if they're fucked up like just enough that that you could probably still throw them into a fight mental contagion below a certain threshold go for it uh if they're more fucked up that like above this threshold that eh, clones a failure okay i have um, one question for you Mm-hmm. Have you watched Psychopaths recently? <laughs> um, I actually came up with this before I started Psychopaths, believe it or not. Um, Amazing. Um, uh, and also, um, yeah, so uh, she is, she Maya is trans, um, and the fact that she is trans is officially listed as part of her mental contagion. <laughs> Um, uh, official before she before she got the fuck out of Dodge of this program, uh, she was diagnosed with uh, you know this sort of transgender mental contagion and a narcissistic personality. Um, oh my God. To be used sparingly, like I want, she had a big I, note in her file that said, "Be wary of this one. She's a huge bitch." I want to be abundantly clear here, um, and I say this as somebody who is trans and who you know. Suffers from a number of mental health conditions. Um, mm-hmm. It fucking rules to like think of those as like uh, points in a character build. It's like okay, well, I have to be under the threshold of one hundred points in order to still be useful enough to capitalist society to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm gonna spend thirty of those points on being trans, uh, forty of those points on having borderline personality disorder, and that leaves me with thirty. And I'll like d- distribute those between depression, anxiety, and ADHD. All right, my build is done. Mm-hmm. And uh, where I came out with this is uh, this is a fucking horrible system to ever oh, yeah, come up it's with. Fucking to be clear. <laughs> Uh, I came up with it because uh, I diagnose. I work in a field that is adjacent to mental health diagnoses and all of that stuff. And this is all of my animosity for when you read about diagnoses and you realize that they are just grading people based on how useful they are to capitalists. The less useful you are, the more mentally ill you're diagnosed as, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty fucked. But so she. You know, her psychopath was good. She got sent into the field um, in service. She was, you know, deployed to these military campaigns um, under the command of, you know, um, you know, commanders who were just, you know, like from Ivy's batches, basically. Um, while in the field, you know, Maya comes to these two sort of uh, conclusions, uh, which are things things that she will live her life by number one is she's not going to fucking die ever (laughs) um she's going to live forever fuck you and then number two is you're not going to be able to ignore me either um uh and so those are her two sort of guiding principles um is survive and show off um amazing uh, uh 
I, I have a couple more questions here. So right. I think like I had been implicitly assuming that like this operation was like busted up before they could ever see action. Um, mm-hmm. But it sounds like, and I, I'm totally like happy to roll with this, that like there were actual campaigns that these were deployed on. So you, um, Maya would have served under the batch that, um, that Ivy raised basically. Mm-hmm. Has she ever met Ivy? I think she uh, she has. But, like, this is uh, important pr- prior to, to the breakout, right? Um, I think she d- had never met her, but knew of her basically. Okay, um, this is critical um, for sure. Yeah, because I I I think that like I've been um, especially kind of like vague on what I see the r- relationship between our two characters being because like. I feel like it's important to put that ball in your court, you know? Yeah. Like I have um, a specific idea. Oh, I would love to hear this shit. <laughs> so she is on... Okay, so she's in the field. She's doing these operations under the command of a clone uh, from Ivy's cohort that she raised. Uh, a, pivotable, a pivotal moment comes uh, in a campaign where the commander basically orders them to do a suicide charge. Of like, mm-hmm. okay, our side is not winning this battle unless we get in there and throw ourselves into the mill, basically. Um, which is the kind of decision you make when you are like custom designed to be a command, uh, like a command cog, you know, who has been trained and modified to like get rid of empathy and see things in these very, you know, tactical very tactically stark things. Yeah. Um, so Maya hears that order and goes, no thanks, I am not going to die, and then turns off her, like, friend and foe s- software mm-hmm. and runs a war pike through her commander's mech. Oh my uh, God. Fucking killing them instantly. Um, so they get back um, and are immediately detained, pending investigation of, like, what happened. I don't think it is... I don't think they immediately pegged that Maya killed her commanding officer, but they're yeah. pretty sure. Um, they just have bigger... Uh, the the cloning operation people just have bigger shit to deal with uh, because they're getting worried about possibly being raided. That's something mm-hmm. that might happen. So they sort of throw Maya and all her brothers into this like cell, and they're like, we will deal with you later. And then that's when the government shows up. Can I, can I first ask... Uh, first, first off, first off, mm-hmm. fucking rips, <laughs> love it. Second off, um, how do all her brothers feel about this? Do they all feel the same way, or like, do they have more like complicated or negative feelings about the fact that Maya went and stabbed? I think, <laughs> I think that some of them don't know it happened. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them suspect it happened, but the only ones who know it happened were behind her on this. Like, I feel Amazing. like we. I feel like in the present, basically, she has less living brothers than she had in the past with her, um, and the ones that survived are sort of her core. Like, those are her. Those are her boys. Like, yeah, they are. They are going to be with her to the end, because um, the ones that were not um, basically left over the course of time. Um, cool. Or just so, died because she wasn't looking out for those guys. <laughs> yeah. So uh-huh. I, I have um I have one sort of like build, I think, on what you defined about like that that backstory and that relationship, which I don't think contradicts anything mm-hmm. that you said, but I feel like is sort of important to how I've been 
imagining like my half of this this like mm-hmm. backstory in this context which is that like you mentioned that that charge would have been like ordered through this idea of like you know uh making these optimal tactical decisions um with with like a a removed sense of empathy and whatnot Mm -hmm. and i think that like it would be totally easy and understandable for maya to have that perspective and i think that even if she did like understand quote unquote the truth it would be totally reasonable for her to have a reaction of like well what's the fucking difference like so what but i think that it's likely that a big part of what was going through that commander's head was not so much the sense of like beep boop i have run the calculations i have you know done the 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 calculus and i -hmm. see now that all my soldiers must die um Mm -hmm. but it's more of the sense of like this is a desperate situation if we come back having failed then i'm really scared that they're going to take it out on ivy and Mm -hmm. because like that's that's what we've been raised like with the fear of and so, like, I have to win no matter what, because otherwise, like, I can't keep her safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that was, like, that's always kind of been, like, smoke and mirrors. But I think mm-hmm. that probably, like, that is part of what was going on there. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, like I said, that doesn't absolve this commander of what they did. Um, but I think it sort of adds this, like, you know... Um, layers of uh, kind of like cycles of of perpetuating exploitation that feels very relevant to like what kind of game Lancer can be when it's doing what it's good at even if it doesn't know what it's good at Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah that would be my like kind of addition to that what do you think? Yeah I think that's good like I, I envision that decision as like something that makes sense like is a is a decision that you make you know, if you are the kind of person who prioritizes a mission, like this clone would, like the clone, the commander clone has their own reasons. Maya also has her reasons, and she is the kind of person to, you know, if it comes down to it, and it's your very important treasured thing, or my very important treasured thing, I'm not dying, so. Yeah. Like, Maya is never going to die for your shit, no matter how important your shit is. Like, she will st- step all over the thing you care about, and then she'll be like, eh, like, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Should have been better. <laughs> Get good, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I, I And I, I love that perspective as well of, like, you know, damn, sucks to be you. Like, I wouldn't have had to do this if you were a better commander and could have figured out something to do and that wasn't a suicide charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is the kind of person, it's very, like... You know, she is not, she is not the kind of person who takes responsibility for things being wrong. It is yeah. your fault. It is something else's <laughs> fault. Like, and not that she's wrong all the time. There are a lot of things in her life which are somebody else's fault. Um, uh, but, you know, she did not, you know, she didn't even try to argue, you know, when she got that order. She's like, okay, I see what it is. I'm killing my commander. Yeah. Uh, in order to survive this. Um, and basically mm-hmm. the way I'm thinking that her and ivy join up is when the when the union rolls through and they are you know all these clones are getting processed um uh maya hears that ivy is trying to like put put some people together and she goes like okay that's one of them that is also trying to survive um because nobody else who is sticking with the union is going to have a is going to have a life after this so we're getting on that train come on boys um, and then they do, is how I envision it, basically. 
um, she, oh, yeah. she would approach Ivy and be like, all right, we're going with you. Yeah. Um, um, I think that, like, Ivy's reaction to that basically would be to sort of, like, oh, um, to internally be like, well, I hadn't really gotten to that part of my plan yet, but, like, it's clearly the right thing to do, right? Um, <laughs> I guess I'll and- take some Flash clones. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I guess there's room. I guess we could do this. Um, but like, definitely trying to sort of like play it off in a way where it's like, all right, fantastic. Uh, glad to see we're on board with the same strategy. Uh, glad to have you on board. But just sort of internally being like, oh, right, the Flash clones. <laughs> right, the other ones. Um, Amazing. Uh, okay. So you want to, you want to, uh, oh, wait, um, I wanted to do sort of her, her like whole look basically real quick. Sure. Um, um, I don't feel like super strongly about my character's look, so I can just sort of like, you know, tell me what you've got. And then I think what Ivy can look like can be basically like, you know, tweaks from that template, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking of Maya as having like um like brown skin and dark brown hair. Like she she sort of wears it in a kind of like a shoulder length ponytail. Um she has uh like a sort of like strikingly yellow eyes, but I think that is probably something that she was not born with. Um I think she pays she she wears like a lot of lipstick and like nail polish and she's very particular about those specific accessories. Um, and she'll often like change them up and coordinate them. Um, and those are the main things that change about her outfit. Mostly she does wear her pilot suit everywhere, um, with like a pilot jacket over it. And that's just what she wears all the time. Um, Amazing. 100%. Okay. So nothing you said contradicted what I had as my like mental impression of Ivy. So I just Mm -hmm. sent you a picture of her in discord. Yeah, that was pretty that was pretty similar to what I was thinking. Hell yeah. Um Yeah, and I think that like there's probably like differences between the the two of them um in, in terms of how they look, but like I'm not sure that it's like super important. Um I think that like Ivy tends to um like I, I think that she tends to wear, like, what is clearly, like, an officer's uniform most of the time. But, like, it is in the sense of, um, like, okay, there are times when this is advantageous because, like, I need to meet with, like, clients for our little mech team um, and show this level of authority and show this level of, like, you know, I'm the one in charge that you should be talking to. But also, like... Um, in the other moments, it's not super important to be wearing this, but it's, like, it's effort to change into something else, and, like, why? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she mostly does that, and then I think that um, she she has, like, a very narrow but effective idea of, like, what wearing, like, practical, um, like, civilian clothes looks like. Like, she has, like, three outfits that she cycles between when she's, like, visiting her siblings and, you know, just sort of, like, passing them off as, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm your kid's big sister and just checking in on her and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I, I think she's sort of, like, is very, like, capable of affecting this stuff in, like, a very limited fashion, but, like, there's not a sense of, like, versatility to to what she conceives of as a look. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think Maya approaches her look very much from like, well, I gotta be ready to jump in that fucking robot at any time, and I also have a great ass, so I may as well wear the bodysuit. This is also how I decide my clothes in real life. (laughs) Uh, uh, So yeah. You wanna um, you wanna go over like uh, triggers and mechs and talents and all that good stuff, yeah, all that crunch. Okay, uh, so here's a cool crunch. Uh, there's first triggers, which are basically like skills. Um, these mm-hmm. are like things that you can do outside of a mech in that quote narrative play end quote mode. Mm-hmm. They kind of just like define like you know what your character is good at, um, and they range from plus two to plus six. Plus six is the maximum on any given one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have at plus six, stay cool, plus four, take control, plus four, read a situation, plus two, leader, inspire, plus two, spot, and plus two, hack or fix. Mm-hmm. Did you um, say plus two, leader, inspire? Yeah. That's very funny. Uh, Do you have my, more? Maya and Ivy have the exact same uh, oh, trigger in yeah. leader, inspire. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking excellent. And I, I, I love that as well, because like, it clearly suggests that, like, oh, wait, no, like, Ivy had that as part of like what she was supposed to be like you know designed to be capable of doing but she like washed out of that part of you know this program mm-hmm. before she was ever actually like leading people in the field so I think, um, I think it's definitely a situation where ivy is less of a leader than you would expect and maya is more of a leader than you would expect and they just sort of they meet in the middle yeah i think that like i i took um, this is like jumping ahead a little, but I took the talents that are leader, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that sort of like suggests that she's very effective as like a battlefield commander. Like she does have that, you know, again C four ISR designation that says that like she can calculate the variables very quickly and like give orders to make optimal moves. But like she's not a very inspiring person. Um, she's, like, you know, perfectly friendly and likable, uh, I think, to, like, most people who meet her, but, like, she's just fundamentally someone who is kind of, like, too much of a, like, not giving a shit burnout. Um, you know, I think relative to a lot of people, she would still be kind of, like, a, you know, overachiever, but I think relative to what she was designed to be, she is enough of a burnout that, like, she is not going to be somebody who can, like, um, you know, command the attention of everyone in a room and be like, give an inspiring speech. Mm-hmm. Um, what rank one... is that leader talent? What's that? What rank is that leader talent? Because they go from three. one to three. Three? Uh, uh-huh. Maya has a one in leader. Um, gotcha. So I like this both like, I like this as a reflection of training, like different mm-hmm. levels of training, uh, but like, in the triggers being the same, functionally, <laughs> they're the same like, efficacy of leader yeah i i I, i'm thinking as well of the fact that like um ivy's only plus six trigger is stay cool Mm -hmm. um which i think of as her just being very able to like tune things out or not have like emotional reactions to them and not in this sort of way where it's like beep boop i am a robot that does not compute but more in a sense of like i can imagine her trying to like um you know do something with wiring at a panel while she's under fire and then like the door that's like six feet away from her gets like blown off its hinges and she would just like continue at her task while briefly glancing at the like door that's now on the floor and say same dude <laughs> um so it's it's that type of not caring um mm-hmm. and i i like fundamentally i think like a big important thing about her is that like 
she's somebody who is very at peace with herself and at peace with the idea she's like probably kind of a piece of shit person who doesn't want to fight for anything greater but like you know does feel like she wants to help whoever is directly in front of her and that Mm -hmm. used to not include the flash clones at all but i do think that she wants to like be a good leader to um the the flash clones that are in her like mech team right now Mm -hmm. um I, that that like she doesn't want to be the sort of person who would lead like order them on a suicidal charge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a caveat to that is the the flash clones would follow Ivy's orders, but only because Maya told them she was chill. Like, <laughs> like, and there's always that moment of like, all right, well, if Big Sis says you're not cool anymore, we're done. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I also think, interesting, in the leader um, talent, it says that you can't order anybody who has leadership die. Like, <gasps> you you can only order characters, like, you can order somebody who has the leader talent, but only if they've spent all their leadership die. And I think that's Amazing. really interesting between the two of them. Like That's incredible. All things being equal, mechanically, Ivy cannot give Maya an order. <laughs> uh see lancer's a good system sometimes <laughs> that's that's fun um yeah i, I like to uh, imagine i like to imagine the sort of calculus that goes into a mission with both of them giving orders um yeah the the way that system sort of reflects um each of them you know i don't know how actively they would be jockeying for authority but like I th- an I acknowledgement think that, that, that exists once we like talk about our specific mechs Mm-hmm. But before we do that, I would love to give you a chance to talk about your triggers. Oh, yeah. And what they mean um, for your character. Um, so Maya's triggers are plus six to uh, show off, plus six yes. to survive, plus four to assault, plus two to lead or inspire, and plus two to take control. Um, so I said yeah. she has those two directives above all else. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to survive yeah. and I'm going to like be unignorable. You'll, you'll note that the, the two of them share two things, which are um, leader, inspire, and take control. Mm-hmm. But um, you'll also notice that Ivy is a super soldier that has no idea how to fight hand-to-hand. <laughs> like, I... there's, there's like three ways to do that with the, the triggers that they give you in the book. There's like assault, there's like apply fist to faces, and there's take someone out. And mm-hmm. I specifically chose none of those. I chose I chose two of those where like she has a plus four assault, which is just like, yeah, this is my life. Um, but she also has that plus six show off, which is like mm-hmm. you can you can uh, you can assault fight someone and you can also show off fight someone. Um, oh, yeah. And I like that she is she is mechanically better if she goes like a total jackass idiot way of trying to fight someone that is incredibly flashy. Um, Amazing. Because that's what she does. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, um, I think that these characters are really fucking cool. (laughs) And I would love to talk about my mech. Yeah, go for it. Okay, um, so, the frame that I'm using as a base here is the Horus Balor. Do you know that one? Um, I know what it looks like, but refresh me on, like, what it does, what it's, like, Give me the one-sentence pitch. For for those at home, uh, what it looks like is, like, a a big, scary demon. Um, It looks very, like, Doom 2016, I think, with the the way that it's, like, 
its limbs are clearly mechanical, but also have more of like curved and, and jagged, like organic looking shapes to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it has like what looks like fire just burning out from its entire top half and like a single glowing eye coming in from like a, a skull within those flames. Uh, it has like a very long whip mm-hmm. and a gun mounted on one arm. Um, what does it do? Well, her specific model um, that she has like put together as her like ace custom model is called Crowned in Omens. Um, and what it does is I've been describing it as battlefield control via hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, so um, the basic things that the battler can do are um, that, like, it can regenerate, Mm -hmm. um, and it has an aura that constantly deals damage to everyone around it, Mm -hmm. Um, like, everybody who's adjacent to it or being grappled by it. Um, And the things, and it's super mode basically just, like, uh, makes those things stronger, right? Like, it, it... deals more aura damage, it regenerates faster, and it can, like, sort of bring itself back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's it's very cool, very scary, very terrifying. Um, if anyone has uh, uh, listened to Partisan, the current Friends at the Table season, as you're listening to this, um, then I kind of imagine this as the sort of mech that you could, like, see in the like middle distance like slowly approaching you and you hear like the black century theme song all of a sudden (laughs) um and yeah like what does this mech actually do well the main thing about the baller is that like if you are up right next to it then like your day is really fucking ruined but it's really slow and its range sucks ass so what i did is i pulled in a bunch of systems from the ssc black witch which is a support slash controller build that basically is about like um, sliding shit towards you and immobilizing it. So uh, normally, like the the Balor's version of the nanobot whip is like a weapon that can do a lot of damage and pull enemies in on a critical hit. But I also have given it a mode where it can extend much further and just yank someone in five spaces. Get over um, here. Yeah, it's also, like, so the deal behind this mech, basically, is that, like, it's a swarm of nanomachines that's, like, holding together a very damaged, and, like, you know, there's a structure that would be held together by, like, you know, uh, uh, spit and good wishes, if not for these nanomachines, mm-hmm. but, like, those machines are what are causing it to just, like, be able to regenerate, be able to persist, mm-hmm. um, and it can also use those machines to deploy these uh like very scary runes on the ground these glyphs and Mm -hmm. one of those glyphs immobilizes any enemy that comes onto it including someone that's just been yanked over by the whip so i can have a combo where i yank someone from middle distance onto my glyph and all of a sudden they can't move and i just slowly walk up to them and deal aura damage to them until they're dead um and then my other Uh, thing is what's called an ice out drone which says that i can deploy it like next to me and make anyone within its area of effect immune to all tech attacks um but also unable to make tech attacks themselves Mm -hmm. so overall what i have here is a very slow very tanky mech that um can like pull people in make it impossible for them to get out effectively and just deal huge scaling area of effect damage. Mm -hmm. Um, My like 
talents are uh i have executioner three which lets you use heavy weapons in ways that like do a lot of cool like area of effect shit i have leader three which um lets you give bonus dice to your allies i have brawler one which gives you bonuses on any attacks against somebody that you're grappling and i have exemplar two which lets you like um sort of like it's it's kind of a tank or a leader thing like it lets you um pick out a specific mech as a target and like lets your allies re-roll attacks against them and um lets you do something else that's just like you know in that tanky supporty uh wheelhouse Mm -hmm. but uh basically like this mech is incredibly fucking weak against like anyone that can kite it Mm-hmm. Anyone that can deal burst damage fast enough to overcome its regeneration, and anyone that can deal heat damage in a way that doesn't rely on tech attacks. Those are its hard counters, but mm-hmm. anything else, it can just kind of say, like, dude, you're next to me. That's really awful for you. You're about <laughs> to die. What's up with that, bro? Like, something that I envision this mech doing is pulling someone in and then not even attacking them. Just letting the aura damage finish that person off while I already think about, like, okay, who's the next enemy that I'm going to pull in? Mm -hmm. Um, So, extremely terrifying mech. And, if you'll note, uh, Ivy tells her little siblings that she's going to retire as soon as her mech breaks down. That thing heals all the time. Yep, she has the infinitely regenerating Mac. Great. What a great person. <laughs> she's such a piece of shit. What a nice girl. She's, she's, be nice to her. Be nice. She's not a bad person. But she's, yeah, she's a really fucking horrible person. And what was the name of that mech again? Crowned in Omens. Great. Excellent name. Thank uh, you. You want to tell me about your mech? Yeah. Um, so uh, Maya Pike um, uh, pilots a uh, mech whose frame is based on the IPS North Star Nelson. It's called the Black Knight. Um, it has it. It has a sort of knight-like aesthetic, um, larger torso, uh, like humanoid figure with sort of a larger torso, especially in the back. Um, it sort of looks like a uh, a knight like a sort of knight's armor clad humanoid figure with a big backpack which is the cockpit um and it also has a waist cape which is pretty dope um mm-hmm. the nelson is at one point it was the cover mech uh, for lancer uh it was like on the cover it was like sort of the mascot um it is based on like melee fighting um and like fast movement um it's it's, it's like a hit and run fighter right yeah, it moves really fast. If it moves really fast, it gets better at doing melee attacks. And when it hits you with a melee attack, it gets to jump back out. Um, so it basically can't be tied down in melee combat and gets to just zoom around with a spear um, doing whatever the hell it wants. Um, Amazing. I uh, Maya has created... Well, I've created Maya and the, and the Black Knight to do this sort of... Um, unending dance in combat uh using her spear in one hand and her pistol in the other hand um so maya has a talent called combined arms uh which basically when she hits with a melee attack she gets a bonus to accuracy when attacking with a ranged attack um 
So she basically does this infinite loop where she hits you once with her weapon, shoot, she hits you once with her spear, shoots you, hits you again with the spear, shoots you, and they just get better and better. Um, she, Amazing. Every time she hits with a melee weapon, she gets a blademaster die, which she can spend to defend herself in various ways, like avoiding reaction uh, moves, uh, moving around targets even more than she already does, just flat out gaining resistance to damage. Um, and every time she hits you with a gun, uh, she gains a a gunslinger die, which when she gets six, she can expend that to shoot six shots at once that pierce through armor. Um, so she's a real motherfucker. <laughs> uh, yeah, she sounds really fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> she also... Here's a little sneaky thing. She has, uh, mm -hmm. she also has a chain axe, which is on a sort of a third uh, arm that she has. Um, mm -hmm. That third arm is governed by an uncle class comp con, which is like an artificial intelligence <laughs> that has control over the chain axe, and once per turn can just take a I whack too with am that governed axe. Governed by an uncle. <laughs> um, it once per turn can just take a whack with that axe for free. Doesn't take an action. Um, Amazing. It gets plus two difficulty um, when mm -hmm. with that weapon, uh, but uh, Maya has two tricks up her sleeve. One, which is that if she takes that swing after she hits you with a gun, that's only going to be plus one difficulty. Um, and the other trick is that the chain axe is what's called in this system reliable, so it will always deal a certain <laughs> amount of damage. So it's it <laughs> beckons you closer. It's free damage. <laughs> she just deals free damage. If she doesn't hit, she still deals damage. And if she does hit, her whole bullshit of like swords and and guns, it just it starts back up again. Amazing. Can I ask, um, which uh mechs besides the Nelson you took modules from? Yeah. So I I actually only have two points in the Nelson license just to get the Nelson okay. frame. Uh, I took one point in the Blackbeard. Um for what's called synthetic muscle netting, um, which lets her ram targets larger than her and make sure she counts as the same size as the largest opponent that she's facing. Um, and she, Sick. Al she also counts as one size larger when grappling people smaller than her. It's more a defensive system to sure. ensure that, like, even if she runs into, like, a grappler whose thing is to stop movement, she has a much mm -hmm. better chance of being like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. Um, For sure. And then she has three. Uh, she has three points in the Raleigh, um, which is a uh, which is a, another IPS mech, um, which is that where she got based the on, like from. reloading weapons, right? Hmm. That one's based on like reloading weapons, right? Yeah, loading weapons, um, firing a lot of guns, uh, also having a heavy weapon. But she basically just sick took those points to get the uncle um, to to shoot the chain axe at things. Hell yeah. Um, so these two mechs sound really fucking cool. They do sound I really think cool. off the top of my head, I can see very clearly how Ivy imagines a typical engagement going, mm -hmm. which is that, like, I'm the sort of, like, um, commander of the core force, mm -hmm. and so my role is to, um, have targets funneled to me, uh, mm -hmm. per my direction, and then they get pulled towards me, I pull them towards me, and then they just, like, fucking die in a huge nanite inferno. Mm -hmm. The biggest counters to me are that type of backline stuff, whether it's somebody very agile who can do hit-and-run things, or whether it's, like, 
an artillery emplacement that's way off in the distance, much farther than I can reasonably get. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that, like, Ivy's idea is like, okay, well, Maya, what she's really good at is, c- c- like, cutting into the back line right away and just, like, tearing to shreds, like, an artillery piece that's, you know, 20 squares away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then leaving those frontline fuckers for me. Because um, I imagine that, like, your mech would probably still be able to, like, do quite well against, like, frontline guys that are, like, big because it can, Mm -hmm. you know, just try to, like, outflank them and be fast. But it's not necessarily designed to, like, stand toe-to-toe with someone. No, but she does have decent armor. Like, she's got health and armor and is able to repair and stuff like that, so. Yeah. But um, how do you think their battlefield dynamic actually works out? Um, I think it's not too dissimilar from that. Um, but I oh, definitely yeah. think Maya's view of this is like, okay, yeah, good luck there. I'm I'm going in. Like, <laughs> I forgot to mention her her spear also has explosives on it, um, so she can Love stab that. you with her spear and then trigger an explosion. Love um, that for someone, which is which is really great. Just a great uh, thing that she does. Um, Amazing. Uh, yeah. So her her strategy would you know she she views it as like. Okay, well, well, Ivy can't. Ivy's mech never dies, so I'm just gonna do. And I also never die, so I'm not really worried about her. I'm just gonna do what I do. Yeah, I imagine that like the other units in this squad would be more based around like that core strategy of like you know, funneling to like. Okay, uh, you know, let's let's proceed with our tactical plan. Uh, nudge every enemy into the hungry, hungry hippo mouth. <laughs> but that like I think um maya can just sort of operate independently and be like yeah that sounds fun um i'm just gonna like find people and kill them Mm -hmm. i think of her loosely as having one of her brothers as a sniper unit who provides like uh 50 cover support to ivy and 50 cover support to maya and is just pretty good at multitasking both of that (laughs) um amazing um how and so I, i think that these two characters like We've talked about ways in which their backstories really inform each other. And we've talked about, like, now how their mechs interact with each other. And I think it would be, like, super fun to play these characters off of each other. Mm -hmm. But compared to our previous episode, we've had a lot less of, like, discussing their actual relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I want to, like, kind of get your perspective first on, like, you mentioned this a little bit. But how does... uh, Well, first off, just do you have any idea for, like, what their squad is besides just like a mercenary crew that could like you know be dragged into whatever plot the gm has because i really don't yeah i i don't think that really matters so much to me yeah like it's just like I, I they might have a plot line that involves like their clone status and i think it's pretty easy for like you know like i imagine that it's not the most difficult thing in the world for like the their clients to like sort of pick out that like Oh, interesting. Uh, the commander of the squad that we just hired looks a whole lot like this, uh, you know, old war hero from Union. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And the second command also looks a lot <laughs> like this war hero from Union. <laughs> oh, the sniper. Uh, it's very interesting because they look a lot like the war hero from Union. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, I think the big question is like, you've mentioned that Maya has this general idea of like well you know you're chill you want to survive too um you know but as long as you don't like 
become a problem that I'm chill following what you have for us. Um, does she have any like more sort of emotional feelings uh, either in any direction really about Ivy? Like, does she like if she were to know, for example, about the fact that like Ivy is continually like visiting, um, you know, her what she sees as like her younger siblings, uh, you know, one of whom was the commanding officer that Maya straight up killed. Um, how would like she feel about all of that? Yeah, like I, I think it is a thing where like Maya's sort of um, like flippancy towards other people is usually based on the idea that like she'll like if she it like being a clone primarily like made for the battlefield and like to be a mercenary soldier in particular, she doesn't have much contact, like, continuing contact with people. So she's very flippant, but under the understanding that, like, if she screws someone over, she will never see them again. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think she... She has some complicated feelings about Ivy, knowing that, like, you know, the the command clone that she killed is dead, like, extremely dead. Um, But here is this woman who looks like an older version of that clone specifically um and they yeah. all look like the same person but literally i i think i do want to say like we've hit on this amazing idea kind of implicitly of having an rpg party that are all clones of the same person <laughs> it's pretty good um but yeah, i think I'm into it i think mentally she's doing a lot of like transference of that um and also, I'm thinking of sort of the, the like, League of Legends narrative moment at which they are frozen is pretty early on in them working together. Um, yeah. So I think she sort of has this bit of, like, um, you know, being in this more permanent situation now um, and sort of having thrown in her lot with Ivy and the rest of them and this unit they've got, but also being like, well, when I look at you, I mostly think of the commander who tried to get us all killed, <laughs> who I also killed. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really, it's not, a, it wasn't a decision that she really considered, you know, it was a very snap, like, all right, I'm doing mm-hmm. this now. Um, so she is like, I think she she has two very conflict. I think she has a couple very conflicting desires. Um, I think yeah. part of her does want to just like bounce from this again. Um, I think even as much as she like is a leader, especially among her brothers, there is a degree to which she never asked for that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I don't want to be the big sister. I don't want to be your guys' big <laughs> sister. Like, can't you do shit? Like, goddamn. Um, and uh, I think she will very sarcastically refer to Ivy also as Big Sister. Um, oh my God! There's um, so much psychology going on with these there's, characters. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot um, of brains going on. Um, yeah. So I think there's part of her who wants to get away. Part of her who does want to like legitimately like emotionally invest in this relationship with Ivy of like okay like we're the two leaders of this shit. It's the two of us. Like let's go. Um, but at the same time, she's also like, I also know this woman well enough at this point to be like, is she, I don't know if she's ride or die material. Like, mm-hmm. um, she, Ivy definitely seems like she has a sort of, you know, um, 
remove and sort of like dissociation from all of this. Um, she's made her peace in a way where Maya has definitely not made her peace. Like, yeah, Ivy's like, I'm ready to die. And Maya's like, I'm not fucking ready to die. Don't get yeah. me involved in that. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I think that Ivy definitely has this, like, presence as a commander where she she tends to be, like, sort of very, like, you know, um, amiable and capable and, like, you know, even friendly, right? But um, I think that if you've known her for more than, like, a little bit, it's very easy to see that there's kind of, like, nothing behind her eyes as she's doing that. Like, this is just kind of, like, an automatic mode that she slips into that, like, she does out of some sense of, like, well, this is what I do, but, like, there's no passion to, to like, going through those motions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think and... related... <laughs> well, Go for it. Yeah, uh, I think related to that, like, um, like, I think Maya definitely looks at her and is sort of like, um, are you gonna, like... One, are you going to get us all killed? Two, are you going to get us all, like, A, are you going to get us all killed because your heart's not in it? Or B, are you going to get us all killed by betraying us like the last girl betrayed us? Because um, mm-hmm. I think there is definitely a part in the back of her head that's like, she's the oldest of all the clones that I know. Why? Mm-hmm. Like, what about her? We are not in a <laughs> business where people survive. So why do why did she survive? Yeah, like, you're in your, like, early 30s, bitch. What's wrong with you? Yeah, how did you, what did you, what did you do to get there? <laughs> and I think she is, like, there's a part of her that's really nervous about that. Um, yeah. And is also sort of beating herself up for being nervous about, like, why do you care? You don't like her. Yeah. I think, um, I think that Ivy does like Maya um and I think that she like doesn't have the same type of like you know big genuine warm affection towards her that she does towards um like the the commander cohort siblings that she got out of all of this Mm -hmm. um but I think she does sort of like look at this with an approach of like like I think we get each other and I'm glad to have someone like you on my side like Mm -hmm. I I'm dedicated to this for life because like yeah there's a lot about it that i enjoy and there's a lot about it that like i just don't really feel like leaving behind but like it would be a lot less fun if i didn't have like this crew that i have right now if Mm -hmm. they all die somehow then i probably will just go and like move on to the next crew um that could use like a commanding officer for a mercenary company but like that will suck kind of it won't be as fun probably Mm -hmm. and i think that specifically, if she were to learn, like, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that, like, um, Maya killed one of her little sisters um, for, you know, ordering them into a suicide charge, then I think her immediate reaction would be one of, like, being upset and frustrated, but not in a sense of, like, you know, you killed my sister, prepare to die, but in a sense of, like... <sighs> Well, why didn't you tell me that earlier? Come on. That's like relevant intel for me to have. All right. I mean, I wasn't going to lead you guys into a suicidal charge anyway, but now I understand that there's like even more tactical efficacy to like prioritizing, you know, like unit cohesion and like group survival and 
like lowering the risk of you know uh, uh, of harm done to uh, somebody in the squad from like a 10% acceptable threshold to a 3% acceptable threshold. Like, if you want me to change my parameters, you gotta tell me about that shit. Come on. I think that would set Maya fucking ballistic. I think she would <laughs> blow her top if she heard that. Amazing. I I think I... Because, like, she's, she's messed up about it. I think she definitely has guilt mm-hmm. about it. Um, so if it was received so nonchalantly, I think she would be like, I killed your sister! Jesus Christ! You don't even want to shoot me a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> I think in that case, that Ivy would sort of, like, very calmly, like, still with, like, a, a kind of, like, a, a, a calm smile, like draw a gun on her and just be like would you like me to i think the response there would be like no god damn it <laughs> yeah that I, I think like the the sort of you know like ultimate response would be like this really fucking sucks for you um i'm super glad that you have like four lovely brothers to work this shit out with because um like i said i've made my peace with all of this mm-hmm. uh if you haven't uh that really fucking sucks when you figure out what you need from me, let me know and I'll give it to you. But until then, this is not my problem. That's infuriating. That's so fucking <laughs> aggravating. Because <laughs> I think I, I think Maya spends a lot of her like mental energy towards Ivy being like, she seems chill. Do I want... I don't know if I want her to be chill. I don't know if I want us to be more intense with each other. If I want us to be less intense with each other. I'm unhappy either way. But this is what I got. In a way, Amazing. very family, very family relationship here. Yeah, no, I, I do think that these two fundamentally do have a relationship that, like, I don't think that it's, like, by any means destined for, like, you know, tragedy and collapse or whatnot. But mm-hmm. I think that they bounce off each other in, like, you know, conflicting ways that are super, super fun. Mm-hmm. I think they just, I I think they just sort of, their relationship just sort of is good does sort of suck it's not changing very much in the way that like a family relationship can sometimes like Mm -mm. i don't see anything about like their dynamic really changing ever no like they're just kind of like that forever now yeah and to be clear i dearly love both of them and they're both like really shitty people oh no yeah awful awful heinous bitches (laughs) but i adore them however we love them (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Um, Seems like we're about wrapped up and about time. We've been recording for about two hours. Uh, We have one last little segment here. We do have one last little segment, uh, which I definitely remembered 100%. Uh, The segment is uh, that we ask each other questions on our characters. Mm -hmm. Um, So your... Uh, so let's open up with your questions towards me. Mm-hmm. These are questions that are about Maya that I will be answering. Mm-hmm. Um, the first question, which I I think I I think I want to change a little bit, right? Like the initial the initial version was like it. This this was a sort of a gamble of a question because I didn't know how um, how the relationship between our characters would shake out. So the question was like, was there ever a moment where her real feeling showed, showed through how does like Maya think that, uh, or how does Ivy think that Maya thinks of them? And I, I guess I really want to emphasize that like second part of like, what Mm -hmm. is like, what is Maya's 
or what is Ivy's perception of Maya like mm-hmm. and her deal right now? Yeah, like I I do think of it as a sense of like um Maya or sorry, Ivy really does admire a lot about Maya, but also like fundamentally doesn't understand her super well and um I think this is one of those places where like her general like inclination to just like look at a difficult situation and say I'm at peace with it is actually like really harmful right like Mm -hmm. she just straight up is not going to be capable of putting a lot of effort into further understanding um Maya or like what Maya actually needs out of their relationship Mm -hmm. um so I think that there's there's gonna be this sense where it's like well, I mean, I'm pretty great as a commander, and you're pretty great as, like, a sub-commander, and we get along a lot of the time, so that should be good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and it's kind of just weird that you sometimes will just, like, blow up at me, and whenever that happens, um, you know, I'm happy to do, like, whatever it is you need me to do to not make you blow up at me, but... It seems like it's more complicated than that, which officially makes it more complicated than it's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think their stasis is definitely like Maya is not going to figure her shit out unless somebody sits her down and makes her figure her shit out. And Ivy is not that person and is never going to be that person. Yeah. And like I, I do like fundamentally a lot of time I play characters that are all about like, you know, I am going to delve headfirst into this emotional drama and, like, mend these fences and have big emotional climaxes with other characters. And, like, I think it's very refreshing for me with Ivy to have this character that just, like, is constitutionally uninterested in that. Not, uh, not I pretend I do not see it, but I see it, and I'm not that bothered. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's your silly question for me? Uh, the silly question. What is the most jackass-style stunt she has ever pulled? Okay, so I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I'm guessing that your Nelson has, like, boosting systems, right? Oh, yeah. Goes very fast. Okay. Okay, so I imagine that what you did is you sort of, like, took, like, a blast door, basically, and maybe, like, welded little, like, bits off of it to make it a little more aerodynamic so that it can be kind of, like, a surfboard for your mech. And uh, you kicked off uh, with your, like, you know, boosters providing propulsion. And you um, sort of, like, jumped off of, like, a ramp. um, Maybe, like, yeah, I'll say that it was, like, over kind of, like, a narrowish gorge. (laughs) And you ejected midway through the the jump, uh, trying to set it up such that you would come down in, like, a cool, badass landing position on one side of the gorge. And your mech would come out down in the same cool badass landing position on the other side of the gorge. Oh, that would have been so fucking cool. I don't think it worked that like that. No, no, <laughs> I think it was... I think, like, it was absolutely a too clever by half situation where it's like, if you had removed, like, one element of that, it would have worked and it would have been really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think, it, I think it fucking, you know, went up in flames. Uh, if I can step in on your territory, I want to say the mech, like, nearly ran her over. <laughs> I think she ended up like having to like jump run over her mech to like not die. Oh, oh incredible. Um which was still oh, kind I love of these sick. Idiots. Which was still kind of sick. <laughs> Honestly, pretty impressive yeah. feat of athletics, not what she wanted to do. Uh it, it started mm-hmm. as a show off skill check and became much more of a survive skill check. Amazing. 
Okay, so I have so, I have questions for you now. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so when Ivy visits her little siblings, she's pretended to have a lot of different jobs. Obviously, her actual siblings know that she is, uh, you know, a mech commander, super soldier. Mm-hmm. But like the families and the friends of those siblings uh, are convinced that she has various like odd jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, which of them has she actually seriously considered instead of being a mech commander, and why? Okay. Um, so when I was looking at the Horus, I noticed, like, it, it's a lot of, like, drone stuff and, like, mm-hmm. engineering stuff. Um, so I'm thinking maybe at one time she just pretended to be, like, an engineer. Like, some sort mm. of, like, um, developer slash engineer kind of type. And she was able to just sort of, like, fake that conversation because she sort of does that stuff anyway. Like, I figure she is fiddling yeah. with the drones and stuff like that. Um... And I think she had that moment of, like, in the, you know, like, maybe the third time she visited or so, where she's like, oh, like, I could just do that. Like, that would be fine. I have all the skills. Um, It wouldn't be a risk of death, necessarily. I could just pivot to that. Um, And it would be pretty easy. But continuing to be a mercenary is even easier. (laughs) So Yeah, for sure. So she didn't do that. fundamentally like for better or worse she is somebody who is not at all interested in changing so like Mm -hmm. the idea of picking up a new skill for her she just like looks at that and says like uh no fuck off (laughs) that's not me yeah (laughs) you have me confused with someone else yeah i think it was part of the reason why it was so appealing was because like she wouldn't actually need to change that much but she would need to Mm -hmm. change something and that's why it was unviable yeah, especially, like, I could imagine that she would be pretty good at, at being, like, a like a team supervisor for a team of engineers, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, with enough know-how behind the actual, like, nitty-gritty and enough ability to just sort of, like, slot people into tasks. Mm-hmm. Alright, my silly question is, <laughs> which casual dining chains has Ivy been kicked out of and for what reason? I like that both the silly questions have been food-themed so far. Yeah, listen, when I, when I like sit down and think about what I'm going to do with these episodes, I'm hungry. <laughs> uh, I think mine, I've also loosely been focused on mistakes. Like, yeah. mistake. Um, so I think, okay. Food and fuck-ups, the two pillars of this podcast. So I think she's banned from like a, a, a casual family-style restaurant, but not because of anything <laughs> she did. It's because of like... It's because Maya and the and her brothers went to a restaurant and just fucking trashed it. Like they just <laughs> they, they serve alcohol for some reason. They got really trashed and they just ruined it. Um yeah. got them banned and they are all clones of the same person. So when Ivy yeah, happened yeah. to wander in, they were like, "You, get out of here. You're not allowed back in here." And <laughs> Ivy was like, "Oh well. <laughs> I'm not well, I'm not going to find out why that ha- why that is what happened, but that's why that happened. I do like the idea that she, like, joined in in that trashing, but in a very sort of, like, detached way. Oh, I like, was she, thinking she, she reali- wasn't there. Like, Oh, really? I was thinking she wasn't even there. That was entirely Maya. But, like, her and Maya there are clones of the same person. I think they look pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, th- then I'll say this. I think that when she finds out about it, like, she's very, like, pleased to hear it. Um, and I think she has this idea of like, look, I'm a good commander. I back my team. Um, I'm going <laughs> I'm to like throw. 
Yeah, like, I, I'm gonna, like, throw, you know, uh, a burning rag into the dumpster behind this restaurant, <laughs> um, because that's what being a good commander means. Uh, I don't, uh, I think that's debatable, but you, you do you. <laughs> huh, you do you, Ivy. <sighs> Amazing. Okay. Love the, um, love I love these two idiots. What a beautiful fucking family. What a beautiful, dumb fucking family who all uh, don't look exactly the same as each other, but who are all fundamentally each other's beloved son. That's why they pass as a family, because they don't they don't look exactly the same, but they look pretty similar. Yeah, like, I, I think that, like, if you're willing to, like, kind of turn a, a bit of a willful blind eye, then it could just be like, oh, this, like, mercenary unit is all just one family. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's kind of weird, but, like, I, I guess that's cool. That's not unheard of. Like yeah, uh, what's also not unheard of is ending a podcast before like two min- two hours and fifteen minutes. So <laughs> if sure. you are done with everything, I feel like I'm done with everything. Yeah, um, I think that's I'm it. Uh, you got anything hey. to plug? Uh, no, I just got my Twitter account, which is Hanayolo, H-A-N-N-A-H-Y-O-L-E-A-U. Mm-hmm. Do you got anything to plug? Uh, I got my Twitter, at Great Grieb, G, G, uh, I'm bad at spelling, G-R-E-A-T-G-R-E-B-E. Um, is that a kind of fish? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do you have other podcasts? Uh, you can find my other podcast, uh, We Are the Champions, uh, at, at Runeterra Tips on twitter uh we are random we are through random number uh generation going through the lore of every single league of legends character uh once a week one day we will understand the the beautiful world of league of i can't no it's a bad it's a bad world but it's a good podcast it fucking um, sucks ass. And then my other, uh, my other podcast is called Novel Not New, uh, which is on the Abnormal Mapping Network, which is a podcast that started being about visual novels and now is a lot more like narrative focused games. Amazing. All right. Well, I think that's just about it for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we had like a sign off. No, I think we were going to come up with a sign off, and then we didn't come up with a sign off. So okay, um, it is what until... it is. Next time, I'm stopping the record button. Peace. (laughs) Until next time, period.